is America turning against the church? And if so, should we be surprised? Jesus says, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. One out of eight Christians around the world faces the threat of violence because of his or her faith. That's 12.5%. 12.5% of Christians around the world face potential death because they believe in Christ. And Paul writes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That might not sound so good to our Western modern ears, but it's worse. The worst for those who are seeking their best life now. According to the Bible, the hatred the suffering, the persecution, it's a blessing. Tertullian said in the second century, a familiar quote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Have you heard that? It may, well, it's no church growth, it's no church growth gimmick. But the pain and the suffering and the trials and the hardship is good for the church. It's how God leads his church. It's how he treats the church, and it is good. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter said, rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You see, friends, we're not only saved by the cross, we are led by the cross. God not only saves Christians by the cross, he leads the church by the cross. Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is strength and weakness, according to the Bible. There is strength and weakness. When that weakness is the cross of Christ, then death is gain. So this morning with 1 Samuel 22, I want to show you how to find, I want to show you how to find strength in weakness. That's the title of my sermon this morning, Strength and Weakness. And I want us to find that strength and weakness. And that strength and weakness in our text this morning begins with David in a hole. Verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to a hole, to the cave of Adalum. David's now in a hole, hiding from Saul who wanted him dead. And the church ever since has had to hide in holes. 1 John 2.18 warns, As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. There are many Antichrists according to the Bible. They love to come as teachers. 
That's one of their favorite ways of coming to the church. They come as teachers. John writes, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. You see, Antichrists, they love to teach, and they're false teachers, and they love to destroy Christ's church with heresy. So our Belgic confession confesses that they assign more authority. The Antichrists of this world assign more authority to themselves in the Word of God. And Belgic says that the false church bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. Antichrist hates truth. Antichrist hates truth-tellers. They destroy lives literally. They persecute persecute those who live holy lives according to God's word. And this is where Saul comes in. Saul comes into our text seeking to kill David. And so Saul, in proper Antichrist form, wanted to kill God's chosen man. 1 Samuel 22 is a Genesis 315 promise. I will put enmity between you and the serpent, between your offspring and her offspring. And this is where we come in. This is where the text brings us into 1 Samuel. You see, Genesis 3.15 is our promise. This enmity of this world, the enmity of this world against the church, and so many antichrists have come. We share this whole with David. Saint Athanasius in the fourth century found himself in a hole five times. Five times exiled because he believed the truth. There's a point in history with Athanasius that there was only one man in the church who was orthodox. <laughs> the church basically became heretical. One man stood for orthodoxy. And he was exiled, thrown in a hole five times for it. At one point in time, someone came to Athanasius and said, Brother Athanasius, will you just relent? The whole world is against you. And Athanasius replied, Then I am against the world. You see, Athanasius believed the gospel in spite of the consequences. And in the end, he was vindicated for the truth, by the truth. You see, strength and weakness begins with an unmovable belief in God's word. We may be in a hole, but we have God's word. And there's our strength. That's why the Bible's called the Bible's called food. The Bible's called a sword. It's called fire. It's called hammer. It's called light, water, gold, honey, and an anchor. The Bible is the power you need when you find yourself in a hole. So there's David escaped in a hole. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. His family escapes wisely with him. But they're not alone, verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. He became captain of this motley crew. All these degenerates (laughs) coming to the hole. This bears resemblance with another would-be king who was hated by the leaders in his day who drew in the outcasts too. And the resemblance is uncanny because the church has always shared a whole. And we share that whole with Christ who drew in a motley crew. 
You see, the church is a place full of desperate people. We are weak. And we are a weak and foolish people. Right? It's, it's almost, the world would think it's irresponsible for me to tell you from the pulpit today that there's strength in weakness. How irresponsible is that? How can you say rejoice in suffering? How can you accept suffering? To say you follow a suffering servant. How can you prize humility over power? Humility over strength, really? To confess your sins and misery every Lord's Day that your liturgy really focuses on your misery and your weakness and your need, your neediness? You see, we're all in a hole. We're all born in sin, and we're not trying to climb out. Here in the church, we're not trying to climb out of the hole. We're not trying to lift ourselves up with our own strength, by our own merit, pulling ourselves out of the hole. But we love the hole. We need the hole. For in the hole, there's only one place to look, and that's up from where our strength is found. So there's strength and weakness. When that weakness is a cross of Christ. You see, the moment we stop looking up, the moment we pull ourselves out and lift ourselves out of the hole and walk our own two feet, we find our own strength and our own power, and that moment we become weak and the world will consume us. Our strength is in the name of the Lord. And our strength and our strong refuge is Christ. So if you want, Christian, if you want spiritual vigor, I want to be strong in the Lord, I want to serve the Lord, and all this and that then confess your weakness. Put away your power. Put away your good works. And look to Christ alone. And David then sought protection for his family. He wants to find sanctuary for his family. Verse 3, And David went there from Mizpah to Moab, and he said to the king, he's looking to protect his family, Please let my father and my mother stay with you. And here's a really important uh, clause. Till I know what God will do for me. David wants to preserve his family. He's going to stay in Moab until he could discern God's word. Till he knew what God, he needed revelation. I'm going to stay here until God reveals. That's the church in the whole, is it not? The church in the whole, we need God's word. And it seemed wise to be in this new place. It was, after all, a stronghold. Verse 5, or verse 4 says, David was in the stronghold. Sounds like a good place. But verse 5, then the prophet Gad came to David and said, do not remain in the stronghold. The, the, the phrase here really parallels the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, really, is what he's saying. Thou shalt not remain in Gad. Why such strong language? Thou shalt not, because... This Moab was Israel's enemy. And Gad, the prophet, bringing God's word, was explaining to one of God's children what God's will for them was. It's in Torah. Torah commanded that the Israelites were to make no peace and have no peace with Moab. Here's the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I've lost count of how many Christians I've heard say, how many God told me so's. God told me so. God told me to be here. God told me to do that in direct violation of what God has actually said in his word. 
I can't count how many God told me so's there are in this world. It's as if the church wants another word. So many today want another word, yet the church listens to one voice, the prophetic word made more sure. And the prophetic word to David was, do not remain. That's Torah. And David is a man for God's own heart, right? So what does David do? He doesn't turn within. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to pray about that. <laughs> I'm going to pray about that. No, when God's word speaks, there's no praying about that. You go. You go. And then you pray. So he departed and he went to the land of Judah. Now this is very interesting. Do not remain in the stronghold, the text says. Do you catch that? Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go back to the hole. Go back to where you're being chased. Go back to where there's potential persecution. Go back to the trial. This is really a solus Christus call. What Gad is saying is, God will not only save you by the cross, he will lead you. He is leading David by the cross. Leading him out of the stronghold, where it seems wise, where, uh, you know, the church growth gurus and the gimmicks and all that. Hey, stay in the stronghold. You got to go to the stronghold. Go to the wisdom of man. Go back to the stronghold. But God's word says, no, go to where, go to the, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and go back to Judah. And so what God is calling here to David is to live by faith, right? You see, friends, the cross is our weakness. The cross is our temptations, our trials, our sufferings, and our persecution. But it's also our strength. Because it's where Christ found victory over sin, death, and the devil. And it's where Christ promises us his grace. And it's where Christ promises us the Holy Spirit. To lead us. And so we can find in this hard world, in the trials and the temptations and the sufferings, we can find endurance through hope by following the cross of Christ. That's our strength and weakness, the cross. Looking up with God's word, beholding the gospel of Jesus Christ, and being found in him. Spiritual strength is found in Christ alone. Anywhere else, anyone else tells you their spiritual strength outside of Christ, they're wrong. Even if it tastes good, it's just cotton candy. It's going to do nothing for you but make you weak like cotton candy. You need a steak. Verse 6. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting... Now listen to this. There's really a contrast here. Remember, we just read about David. David's in a hole. He's surrounded by the degenerates of the world. But here's Saul. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under a tamarisk tree on the height with the spear in his hand, all surrounded with his servants surrounding him. And there's a contrast here, right? David in a hole surrounded by degenerates. degenerates. But here's Saul. This is a picture of the false church. Here's Saul in all his pomp and glory on a hill surrounded by this regal cast of people. This is a juxtaposition. David, the man of God in a hole, Saul, the picture of the false church, filled with glory, standing over the church. And is this not the church, the false church today? And the church today is really seen as fools. Those who follow God's word were seen as fools from a bygone era, weak and worthless without the science, the science, and the spirit of the age. The fallen world and her false church looks more prestigious compared to the church in the whole. But 
the fallen world and our false church is far from glorious. Verse 7. Now notice here verse 7. It's very subtle, but look at verse 7. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now. So here's this regal cast of glory, these, uh, these, these, these regal officials, his officials standing before him. And he says, People of Benjamin. Now one thing you have to remember, a little context, Saul's from Benjamin. Who has Saul surrounded himself with? His family. <laughs> he surrounded himself with yes men, his family. Uh, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, will he give one of you fields and vineyards? Will he give every one of you? Is he going to bribe you like I have bribed you? Is he going to foolishly practice nepotism as I have foolishly practiced nepotism? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Here's we see the pride and arrogance of Antichrist. We also see his, he's an unwise, he's a fool, and he is deplorable. Verse 8, that all of you have conspired against me, and now Saul begins to throw this royal pity party. No one discloses to me. you got to kind of read it with a whiny voice. When my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, none of you is sorrowed for me and discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as he is this day. Now that's a lie. David's in a hole. He's not lying in wait. He's not trying to kill and put to death Saul. And so he, he reaches out to his counsel, this family member, and no one will listen to him. And so he has to, in good false church fashion, turn to a foreigner. Verse 9, then answered Doag, and the text is real clear. He's an idiomite. He's not part of Israel. And he charges. He speaks a word of treachery against Ahimelech. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob at Ahimelech. Ahimelech's the problem. He's treacherous. And he inquired, David inquired of the Lord from Ahimelech. And he gave him provisions and gave him a sword. Gave him Goliath's sword. That great sword of Goliath. And so Doeg charges Ahimelech. Saul agrees, verse 11, then the king sent to summon him, brings him here, brings all his family, brings all the priests. Come, all of you here, summoned before me. And, and they all come. And then Saul condemns him. Here now, the son of Ahatub, and answer me. And he says, here I am, Lord. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? Why have you done all this for, for David? against me. Why this conspiracy? And Ahimelech defends himself. And I love the way he defends himself. He defends himself first by, begin, by, by defending David. Verse 14. Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? He's the king's son-in-law. He's your son-in-law. He's captain over your bodyguard. He's honored in your house. He's the most respected and honored person I know. And then he defends himself. Is today the first time I have inquired of God for him? No. But the king, let not the king impute anything to his servant or all the house of my father. I don't know any, I don't know, this is all, this is your thing. I don't know what's going on. I'm just a faithful minister. He's basically proclaiming that David is just, David is honorable, and he is innocent. That's the situation. David is honorable, the priest is innocent. But Antichrist could care less. He could care less of justice. He could care less of right or wrong. Doesn't care about the truth. 
Saul here cares nothing for God's word or God's minister. He wanted blood. So he said, verse 16, Saul said, the king said, you shall surely die. You shall surely. Have we heard that before? Have you ever heard that before? You shall surely die. In the Hebrew, it says, dying, you shall die. Where have we heard that before? That's the condition that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden for disobedience to the covenant of works. The day that you fail the covenant of works, that day you shall surely die. Here's Antichrist in good form and fashion, taking God's word, twisting it. And he's condemning the righteous. He's condemning the righteousness and the righteousness of God. He's Antichrist. And he calls, I love verse 17, and Saul stood to the guard. He calls to the guard who stood about him, kill these priests of the Lord. And I love, but the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Here's the king, hey, kill them. And the priest and the servants are like, no, we obey God, not man. This is unlawful. This is unjust. And so Saul, in good antichrist form and fashion, in false church fashion, again, has to turn to the foreigner. Because that's what the false church does. It, it brings in what's foreign to God's word, what's foreign to scripture, and puts that forth for the people. And so here's Saul, in good false church fashion, appeals to the foreigner. Then the king said to Doag, you turn and strike the priests. And Doag, the Edomite, now Edom, the Edom traced, Edom, Edom, Edom traced their heritage to Esau. As in Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. You see, Antichrist attaches himself to the rejected line of God, the offspring of the serpent who's at enmity with the offspring of the woman. And then it's pure evil. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. Verse 19, and this is anti, is this not antichrist? And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. He put to the sword the city of the priests. Saul is turning against worship, like the false church. <laughs> He put both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. This language is also reflected in Torah. This is the language of harem warfare. You've heard of harem warfare? Harem warfare is the command of Torah to God's people to clear the land. And harem is reserved for the offspring of the serpent. It's hell for those who do not believe. And God's people were to practice harem against the ungodly to the offspring of the serpent. But now Paul again, Paul Saul again, twisting God's way, God's will, God's word. He twists it and he uses harem against the offspring of the woman. And he's seeking to put to death true worship. You see, Saul is one of many antichrists who have killed God's people and kicked against the Goads. And that day, Saul joined the ranks of Pharaoh, Balak, Balaam, Jezebel, Ahaliah, 
I'm having a hard time with these names this morning. Haman. And he precedes others like Diocletius, who in the third, second, late second, early third century put to death thousands and thousands upon Christians. And Louis the Fourteenth, who killed many Reformed Christians in France during the Reformation. And all the modern totalitarians who've killed countless Christians for the sake of fascism and anti-fascism. You see, these are just the major players in an ongoing Antichrist tradition. And so many Antichrists have come, and they are coming. Now, you might be thinking, well, thankfully, we have religious freedom. But don't we have religious freedom in America? Yes, but the Supreme Court has said that the federal government may limit religious freedom when it has a compelling interest to do so in order to protect the common good and limit people's ability to harm others. And that's a good law. That's a good law when sticks and stones may break my bones. But what about when words can kill? What about when words can kill? You see, hate speech laws with its woke prophets, they use sticks and stones. But it's okay. God preserves his church. Verse 20, then one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. He escapes, he flees after David, and David said to Abathar, I knew that on that day, I knew there would be trouble. I think David here is saying, I should have, maybe I should have ended. Maybe I should have ended the trouble, but I didn't. In verse 23, he says, stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. You see, the priests may be destroyed, but not completely. The people of God may be put out, but not completely. We may have to die for the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God will not die. And Abathar is witness to this truth. And then the text ends with a very, with another important contrast. A lot of contrasts in this text, ironies. Verse 23, he says, David says, stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. And here's the contrast. Saul the Antichrist said, you shall truly die. And David said, with me, there's safekeeping. And so David becomes the protector. He becomes the provision and the protector for the priests of the Lord. He becomes the provision and the protector for all the outcasts and for all those who are needy. And David here is a picture of Christ. You see, Christ left the glories of heaven. He left the mountain. He forsook the mountain of the Lord to be placed in a hole in the earth. He forsook the glory of heaven. And by his suffering, we are made righteous. And by his death, death is gain. And we are made strong, not by our suffering, but by the suffering of Christ. We are not righteous because of our good works. No, we put away our good works that we might have Christ instead, that we might have his righteousness. For by the works of the law, we will surely die. Yet Christ says to us, having been raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of heaven, do not fear. 
Though you take up your cross, though you suffer, though the world looks to you this day and says, you will surely die, we know Christ in heaven says, do not fear, for with me you shall be in safekeeping. So pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Believe in Christ's finished work. And you will be in safekeeping now and for eternity. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And you will find strength. You will find the strength you need to truly live. And to live for the glory of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.